Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, yo, this is Big Daddy Kane, and you're listening to another hot interview on The Library with Tim Einenkel on RapStation.com. Yo, daddy, yo. He's the creator of Stasasonic. He's a music producer, an artist development coach, a speaker, a celebrity DJ. He just released his newest album, Hashtag Everybody But KRS. He's Daddy-O, a.k.a. Professor Daddy-O, and I want to welcome him to the library with Tim Hunt and RapStation.com. Daddy-O, thank you for so much for joining me. Oh, man, my pleasure, man. Thanks so much for having me. you you reach the rank loud and clear we go air it out and let you know what it's all about loud so you know i obviously want to start from i want to of course talk about the new album but i want to start from the beginning i guess um you know you, you came out at a time where there was uh, when there was groups you had like tribe you had day law you had public enemy you had cyprus nwa you know emp right. epmd uh, just to name a few but today it seems like there's a lot less groups uh why do you think that is the case well, the group, the group thing is is is, is, is a good question. It probably, I mean, it's just a challenge to your listeners, man. Um, and just being the professor I am, I try to put everything into a lesson plan, right? So, just homework for your listeners, man. It'd be nice to see what somebody could get back to you either by Twitter, you know, hitting you on Twitter or hitting you via email as to what they think, because that's a study within itself. I yeah. mean, you know, it's um one one side of it is is very dark, right? Which is you know, going back to the Motown days and always, you know, seeing, you know, members of groups being being taken out of the original group and then just kind of spawning these solo careers. You know, so that that's kind of dark in terms of just, you know, pulling somebody out of a group just because, you know, with the group there was less money. Right. But I, I think, I think, and, 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 you know, it's just me kind of thinking, but I think a lot of it is kind of based on, ego and money. I mean, I can't see it. I can't see it being any other way because we were so enamored to be groups, right? So Chuck's a good friend and, and, you know, all these guys are good friends, right? Cause we are, we ended up touring together and becoming friends through the music. And we were all enamored, enamored by being groups. And the only ones that had the problem surprisingly was the two man groups. I mean, they had to work so hard. I mean, we talked to Eric and Parrish, about how hard that was because, you know, there was really not a bunch of two-man groups even in the beginning. Man. You had Jekyll and Hyde, um, and you had the L Brothers really, really early. But for the most part, you know, people was looking for three, four, five. A lot of times people were looking for four and five members so that, you know, so they could spread that thing out, spread the MCs across, do the routines. The routines would sound real thick. 
with four people. So two people was like, well, what are we doing? It's two people. We're a duet, you know? <laughs> so even that was difficult, but people were enamored. I'm going back to the original. People were really happy to be a group because we were following our predecessors, right? So we were following Grandmaster Flash and the Fuse Five, The Treacherous Three, a Fantastic Five, Macedon Committee. I mean, I could go on and on and on, you know, Jazzy Five. So we were following our predecessors, following our heroes. So we were so enamored to be a group. The only solid answer I could give you is that their heroes nowadays are solo artists. Right. So, you know, they, they seem to look toward Pac, Biggie, and Jay. I think it's interesting that... Like, obviously, you, I mean, you and Chuck and, uh, you know, and all these guys came out of a time where hip-hop wasn't the popular genre, right? So right, you, ha- you had to, like, you had to look for other genres of music to get inspiration from, or you, you know, or you, or, you know, you, you always hear those stories about, you know, I was, gro- you know, I was growing up with, my dad was playing Motown and my mom was playing this, you know, right. uh, and now you have, I mean, like you say, now you have artists are growing up where hip hop is the popular genre, so they're, they're, <laughs> right. they're influenced right. by that and they're influenced by solo artists. So, and, and that gets into another, uh, obviously, that's um, sonic influence, I think a lot of people, and and obviously, you guys have the, t- the title uh, "Talking All That Jazz," which I, you know, right. I was I was mm-hmm. I was in elementary school and I grew up listening to that, and <laughs> and also I, when I heard, you know, when I when I was preparing for uh, my interview with you, of course, uh, self destruction, the the lyric, "Yo, Daddy, yo, scoop, 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 scoop," and that was like my favorite right. line. But anyway, back to talking about that jazz and the jazz influence that you guys had and the live instrumentation that you guys used. It seemed to help. Right. Pay, it seemed to help pave the way for uh, jazz sampling groups as producers, like such as Q-Tip, Premier, Gangstar, Tribe, and even the Roots. Uh, do you think how how much of an influence do you think you guys had on these groups, or do you think it's just the natural progression of music that this happened? I think it's both. I think it's both. I, I think there was a lot of there was a lot of influence. You know, one of the things I do, I am super happy about. I mean, there's a bunch of things I am, but. One of the specific things I'm super happy about was Sonic, right? Sonic is actually the rapper's rappers, right? So even when we didn't penetrate the, the, the overground, our peers loved the hell out of us. Right, yeah. I remember being in, I remember being in a limousine on the, on a, I think it was the Def Jam tour. It must have been the Def Jam tour. I don't think it was Big and Def. I think it was Def Jam tour. And we all had, we had to go do interviews. And so what would happen is, yeah, of course, LL would come by himself. And then sometimes Houdini would come to them, and sometimes just one of them would come. But you know, we all had to fit in this in, in, in this um, in this uh, limousine. So I was the only one from Stetson Sonic there. Hmm. And I remember I was just quoting the whole Stetson. I, I was amazed. I'm looking in his face like I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Oh my God! He just yeah. goes through. He says, "Yeah, man, you know when that goes, Stetson, man, brace yourself for the awesome, the real, the real." And he's doing it like me. Wow! In my face, and I'm like, "What the hell?" <laughs> But as time went on, I found that people really, you know, inter-industry people really, really loved us. Another experience I had in Selma, just recently we had did that, that Selma thing, you know, with the anniversary. And I'm standing in a room, and it's a room packed full of people and artists. And Ruben Studdard walks in, sees me, and walks directly to me. And people are yelling, Ruben, Ruben, and all of this. He's not paying attention. He's coming directly to me to tell me how much of an influence and how much of a fan he is of the group. So, we, you know, that's one of the things I do pride in. So, I did, you know, first part is that I think that we did definitely influence them because, you know, 
all of our chops, you know, in, in, in musician terms, all of our chops was hip hop chops, right? We were, we were, you know, one thing I would say about me and Chuck, and I'm not trying to say other people didn't do this. One thing I will say about me and Chuck, we stayed in that mode. I, I could almost say trying to make Manly Mel proud. You know what I'm saying? Trying to make Flash proud. We, we stayed in the mode of real hip hop chops. And so you, you, you're not going to get that with everybody. Even with Tribe, you don't get a whole bunch of it. You get some really new nuances with Tribe. I, I love Q-Tip and, and Shahi because some of the things that they did were just, it was really fresh. Like mm. it was just, I don't think people, I don't even know if they knew they could do it. You know what I mean? Right. But if you, if you listen to Public Enemy instead of Sonic, you hear Melly Mel. You hear Grandmaster Cash. You hear Grandmaster Flash. And theater, you hear that in our music, as well as, you know, what I consider the space that's not there, which is, you know, what, what was going to be future for it. But you hear that. We, we were all about the hip-hop chops. And I think that that's where Stet did end up influencing some of these other groups, because we kept it 100% hip-hop. So, you know, you know the, the, the time signatures, the rhyme sequences, you know, the scratches, all of those particular things we put pretty much in this filter of of hip hop chops and, and 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 you know not not looking at it like we didn't want to be un hip hop put it like that right, right. you know there was you know it was, it was just something about it that we we wanted to make sure that whatever original hip hop had which was all the stuff that we used to listen to on tour buses that was on tapes that never ended up being records we had all of that but then we still translated into that recording medium did you guys know at the time like I mean that you would that you I mean, did you know at the time that you were having this profound effect on other MCs? I mean, I ask this because, you know, I, I, I asked producers and DJs and, you know, um, I said, I'm, I'm interviewing Daddy-O. What should I ask him, right. you know? And the most common song that came up was, you have to ask him about Ghostessa off of uh, your, <laughs> de- your debut album, <laughs> On Fire. And, and then and they want to know, like, how did you, like, they're like, it's such a classic song. So the question is, like, did you guys know? No, absolutely not. The answer is no. And, and, and here's the real deal. My my two most classic mistakes is Ghost Stetson and Top Billing, right? Both some, um, I'm, I'm talking about some unorthodox stuff. So Ghost Stetson is this song that we're doing. We knew the style. I took the Lindrum and I did that old school James Brown beat, that boom, that, da do doom. Now, if you listen to that, and you listen to, now take a sec to check the pedigree. Yeah. You will hear that it was written to boom, that's the boom, boom, that's the boom, that, right? Yeah. What happens is the engineer that I'm using doesn't come in one day in Calliope. And so they give me this long-haired Canadian Bob Colton, right? And he comes in, and Bob is, I don't know, because Bob Powell was my original engineer. Bob is maybe 15, 20 times faster than power in terms of pulling up a mix. Literally, I didn't know you could pull up tracks that quick because I was so used to looking at Bob Power, who takes all day on the kick, all day on the snare. Like, before we hear the drum, we done went downstairs and ate lunch and come back, right? Right. Bob just pushes everything up. And what he did is he pushed up the vocals first and then the live drums. I added the live drums because I wanted drum rolls and cymbals on that record. That was the reason I put live drums on it. But what happened is, in order for 
the record, in order to do what I was asking him to do, the drummer had to keep a beat, just to just to keep a beat. He couldn't sit there, you know, he, you know, feet not moving, you know, hands at his side. And then when I, because I use, I literally use signs for it. I raised the sign for drum roll and then direct the drum roll because he had the beat and beat. Mm. So he was doing the beat just to. Um, you know, just to keep the beat and where 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 I wanted to roll and where I wanted to symbol and all of those particular things. When Colter pulled this up, I'm like, yo, that's crazy. I said, yo, erase all electronic drums. He looks at me and said, are you sure? I said, erase them. He said, you don't want me to just mute them? I said, get rid of them. I said, the light, that's the record. Wow. And he listened to it. He said, yo, that's crazy, yo. I said, yo, turn them drums up a little bit more. Because what people don't know about Ghost Death is only three drum tracks. Wow, yeah. We used to use one ambient drum that was way in the bathroom in the back in Calliope and two stereo and two stereo um, tracks. That's it. But it's the way those guys used to record. We had some incredible, you know, we had some incredible engineers at Calliope, so that's the way they used to record. But that was the way, that was the way that came about. That record was never supposed to be live drums, I mean, live drums, yes, I was doing live drums for my roles and my cymbals, but it was never supposed to be live drums all the way through. But once we heard it, we was like, yo, this is undeniable. So usually you kind of had a, a, a plan in terms of what you wanted, but this seems to be the case where yeah, it's just Yeah, like... yeah, yeah. So, so Highland Prince Paul, a lot of people don't know this about Paul, but Paul is phenomenally organized, right? So having Prince Paul always helped. Right? And Paul taught me like all of these friggin' techniques. So one of the things that Paul always does, and I do now as a producer, is he says write down all the titles. Even before we get ready to go into you know making this record, write down all the titles. Write down every title that you could think about for this record. I know that you know the name of the album, that title is gonna be that title song, but you know, give me at least nineteen, twenty more of them joints. And so that's what we used to do. And so I'm saying that's just part of the planning. And we, we moved into this kind of strategic mode of planning out what we wanted to do, what kind of records we wanted to make, because we're looking at all of these titles. And then, you know, the other thing that was very, very, very beneficial in Sonic, and going back to your original question, it was just dope having a big-ass group, because everybody could kind of share duty. So now we got all these titles, but we got D.B., who's a producer. We got Paul, who's a producer. You got Daddy, who's a producer. And then the rest of the guys are kind of in there, at least knowing about production. They're not, you know, they're not full-fledged on a production tip, but they definitely have ideas. So those things could be divided and split up amongst us, and sometimes somebody would come up with something crazy. Like, for instance, Fuquan made the beat for Sally because we had this idea that everybody was going to do a solo record on the album, right? It didn't happen like that. Only on the info yeah, the only thing that came was, um, was the ODAD and then... Um, no, no, actually two, because it was Old Dad and Freedom of Death for me. And then um, we still didn't look at Faye as a solo record. We we still looked at Faye like it was a group record. It's just that we knew we needed one voice on Faye because we just following Lottie Dottie and Latoya and some of those other records that was out. But Fuquan's record never came out right. The one that he did, we didn't like it. And, you know, it was always by committee. But when we left him in the studio that day, he came up with that beat for Sally. And I was like, yo, I can use this for this, um, talking about mistakes, I can use this for this record idea I got, right? So back in the day, when Flash and them used to ban and all of them, Gabby J and them used to cut breaks, there was a few breaks that had words in them. 
So Keep Your Distance was one. The one we used for Sally, the Dyke and the Blazers was one. Champ is kind of one because it got, you know, it does say champ. Um, you know, but there was a few break beats that had words in them. I had wrote this song that had every break beat that had words in them. So, you know, go a little bit. But, and, 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 and to know what I'm talking about, just listen to it's in my song on the Info Gear album and you'll hear what I'm saying. Because I did that. I talked back and forth with the, with the turntable on my verse and it's in my song. It's just like I talk and then, you know, the scratch comes in and I talk and the scratch comes in. So that's the way this record was. But then what happened was, you know, they all was good, but that Dyke and the Blazers thing stood out. And I said, man, forget this. I'm scrapping everything and I'm just using that. Some people don't like the way Sally walked and we're going to just write three verses around. Well, really four because we did three and then we did one collective verse. We're going to just write verses around that some people. And I'm using that beat that Fuquan had made, and then Paul was like, yo, hold on a second. And then Paul brought that, down, down, down. <laughs> He's like, watch this, man, yo. Down, down, down. I was like, yo, that's crazy right there, yo. Just with that beat, that, down, down, down. <laughs> I was like, yo, this is crazy. I was like, how are you going to use that James Brown? I don't know who it was. I think it was Rufus Thomas. And he said, watch how I use it. And it was just, it was bananas, yo. It was like, you know, that was crazy. So that, you know, it's the creative pro- I mean, I, I know I, I did turn a little bit, but the creative process was always very interesting for us because we already had a structure. And so, you know, anything that we added usually was dope, dope gravy for us. You know what I'm saying? Because there was already something there that we wanted to do. That, that, that gets me to my next question. I know you're, you're not just obviously, you're not just the artist and a music producer, but you're also an artist development coach. Um, so right. when you have like stories that wish. This is this is for me the most fascinating thing about the kind of the creative mind of the artist. How, you know, you right. have you have a plan, something changes, and you just or, or you know, or you have a plan, something happens, you know that you're going to scrap that, and right. you go with that, and it just it, it's it's just fascinating to me to realize how people's minds work in that way and how right. they have this great ear. But so I guess my question is how. Are these, can you teach this? <laughs> I mean, like... All right, so yeah, so shameless plug, artdevclinic.com is the site. Um, right now, all I'm doing is evaluation. So it's, it's, it's a little bit more than virtual A&R. But can you teach? Absolutely, because I was taught it. So absolutely, it can be taught, because I was taught. You know, the one thing I always say about the music business that I miss is I miss that. I mean, I really, really miss that. I remember days of Gary Harris and... Russell Simmons and Cassandra Mills. Just, Daddy, oh, do you know so-and-so? Oh, you need to know so-and-so. And, you know, just, yeah. just the, the, the connectors. And then if there's something that you don't know about a mic or something that you don't know about rhyme cadence or something you don't know about DJing or needles or whatever, they would always show you what could be done. Um, I think it's more teachable, and that's the only reason I started the Dev Clinic. I think it's more teachable now than it's ever been because now we have some form of structure in mind. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier you know, at the time that we began this thing, we weren't the popular music. So, you know, it was a little different because all of us was finding our mojo and trying to figure out how to get it going anyway. Right. Um, but now that it's going and you got stations shouting out home and hip hop and R and B, you know, yeah. now there is some kind of structured um thing to it. And the thing I try to do and talk about all those times is I tell this to artists that I work with all the time. If your intention is just a little bit of radio play and blah, 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 that's not me. I'm not the guy to come to. 
But if you're trying to be a superstar, if you're trying to last, if you're trying to not be forgotten, then I'm that guy. Because that's what I'm trying to work you out. You know what I'm saying? I, I have nothing but heroes in my mind. And the concept of all of this, to me, at the end of the day, should be legendary status. If you're not doing this to be the best, you probably shouldn't be doing it at all. And so, you know, so that's where my, you know, that's my guidance and that's my area is toward that thing. And then, you know, most of what I do in the very beginning is just all stage performance, you know, because the, the truth of the matter is that today and yesterday, a good show will sustain you either way. You know, now it may seem a little bit more prevalent because people really are not selling records the way they used to. But if you think about it, even the guy that ended up doing $10 million in the finger snap hammer, he did it because his show was hot. Right. You know, he didn't do it just because those records. You know, the people are still questioning as to whether or not Hammer's records was dope or not. You know, when you guys play records and y'all go into old school sets, hardly none of y'all play Hammer. You know, it's weird, but y'all just don't. Because it's like y'all trying to figure out, yeah, maybe some guys on the West Coast may pull a little piece out. But y'all don't really get into that. When y'all start getting down, y'all start getting into the tribe. Y'all, y'all would play Rodney on Joe Cooley before y'all would play him. Y'all would play um, ain't, no, uh, um, ain't, ain't No Future in Your Front and MC Breeze before y'all would play him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it, it's like, so it, it's still, it's, the jury is still out as to whether or not he made those records. But what sold those records and, and millions and millions of those records was that he had a dope show. So the first thing I concentrate on is a show because that definitely can be taught and it's definitely something that's totally missing in this era these guys come out on stage they harmonize them with themselves they make a record at one octave they're on stage at another octave it doesn't even seem like that's the guy that made the record they have no idea about what movement is just like they don't know how to hold a gun they don't know how to hold a mic right right you know it's it's, it's you know it's a weird weird situation and what ends up happening is that they don't realize it, but the reason people they don't get repeat performances is because they was whack. They think it worked, but they so high that they don't know whether or not it works or not. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff to teach in that area in terms of, you know, because my whole issue is, you know, can you, can you get to a sustainable level? We could talk about being the best down the road, and the aim is always that, but can you even get to a sustainable level? Because notice... And, this, and especially in the last two decades, that, you know, people have not even thought about sustainability. What they've thought about is shooting up the rung to be wherever they're going to be at the very, very top. And then they, they fall really hard and fast. Right. And then it just goes away because, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a tough thing. You know, take a person from zero to 100, and then they operate at 100 for I don't care how long. Maybe it's 10 months, maybe, maybe it's longer. And then they just drop them back down. They don't know. So what, what I try to do is show them how to pace this thing where, you know, down the line, you could kind of figure out what your placement is and, 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 and get some work done. But, yeah, I mean, I know that's a long answer to one question, but, yeah, it could be taught. So, so just when, you teach, when, you, when you teach people how to, you know, this, this more sustainability stuff, are you also teaching them? Because what I find is you, you, you hear not just artists but also basketball players and, you know, whatever, right. sports stars who – they, you know, they, they go from college they have, or high school, they don't have much, and then they get that, you know, right. first $10 million check, right? And then, they, but they always talk about how, like, they always talk about how they, 
this people come out of the, the woodworks, right? Like, you know, asking yeah. for this, asking for this, or, you know, and, or, or, yeah. so do you teach them how to get that, a, a trustworthy group? I mean, is that, is it hard to teach them how to get a trustworthy group around them? Um, you know, like kind of like a no, class? No, I mean, and I, I do teach it, but I'm a lot, but that part is more, that's more of my screaming part. That's, that's not the nice teacher in me. You know, that's this kind of screaming radical in me saying, you know, I just did a, um, I actually just did a keynote at this uh, summit here called the Bridge Summit. And that was the first thing, I, you know, that was actually this was the thing I closed my talk with. And it was about teams. And I taught them about teams because my, 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 my argument for that is this. Is I say it all the time. I say, you guys been told a lie, right? You've been told a lie. And, and they say, what do you mean? You know, what do you mean? I say, you know, everybody's running around here telling you that, you know, um, you don't need a record company. You know, you just don't need a record company. You can do it all yourself, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's a lie. And and, and the reason I'm saying it's a lie is this. If you, if you will propose what I call the desert island question, which is you're on a desert island and you're going to be on this island for the rest of your life. You're not coming off. And you have five records to take on that island. Not one of those records are independent. They were all made by record companies. They were all made by incredible teams, right? So if it's hip-hop, The Chronic might be in there. Um, Takes a Nation may be in there. Um, and I could keep going on. You know, maybe Machiavelli for some people, maybe All Eyes on Me, maybe one of those biggie records. I wouldn't take the biggie record, but maybe one of those big records. You know what I'm saying? But those yeah. records are there. They were all made by teams. They were all made by record companies. There's a science to the way. I, you know, I say it all the time to them. I say to them, look, we never put the words marketing and promotion in the same sentence. You guys are ridiculous to me. I, I say marketing and promotion. What the hell is that? Promo is one thing. Marketing is a whole other thing. I've heard some of y'all say marketing, promotion, and publicity in one thing. What the hell is that? So, so what I'm learning is that they don't even have the concept in their head to know what a, a, a real team means. So I don't, in essence, I guess it is a teaching, but I'm kind of screaming that from the rafters. Like, look, man, you're only going to bring your uncle in here if your uncle knows what he's doing. And that concept of bringing your uncle in here because you think you could trust him, you're, you're delirious. You, you are delirious because you might have somebody that could trust that can't do a heck of business. You know, at the end of the year, you done made 10 bucks and you could have made 100 bucks just because the man didn't know what he was talking about. So, you know, and, and, and it's a fine line. I understand what it is that they're trying to do. I, I understand sometimes they want to get their little brother and their cousin in there just because, you know, this is somebody they could talk to. I get it. I just don't agree with it. So, yes, I, I, I often talk to them about what teams mean, um, you know, but just in that same context, it's like, yo, man, you got to realize that these great records that you hear, that you love and all of that, they were created by teams of people. These things wasn't created by like um, you know, in in, in silos or or, or, or or on somebody's laptop. Even today, if you want to do a great record, and you could do a great record um, on your laptop, but if you don't have somebody like a Herbie Powers or one of these guys, Carlos or one of these guys to master your record and do whatever, you're probably gonna lose. You know, I don't know how many listeners just based on signing. You know, right. people don't really know. It's just that sometimes they, you know, they hear it and they just like, eh, 
damn, I probably would play more of it, but it seems a little low. Doesn't feel like it's mixed right. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because they don't know what you got to go through when you getting it in your hands. They're just looking at you like, oh, man, you the DJ, man. You better play my record because it's the best record in the world. But you got to play this record up against everything else that you got in your collection. And, you you know, I mean, there's, there's mix fits, there's sonic fits, there's all those kind of things that, you, that, that that's got to be the made, made to fit. And everything just is not the same sometimes when it comes off a laptop. You know, you know that old school saying, of, you know, I mean, the old school issue of, you know, cats who used to make you know music on their on their four tracks, and then bring them in the studio, and they hear all that noise, and they're like, "Where's all that noise coming from?" The engineer looks at them and said, "It was there the whole time. It's the damn tape." But in the house, you can't hear it because you're listening on some house speakers that are colored. Now I'm here; it's pure, and you hear everything. So, can you get it out? I can try, but it was made with that hiss. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you know what I'm saying. It, 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 so there's this there's just a there's a concept to that. Um, I, I, you know, the other thing I say about that is this, man, is that you can almost trace the decline. And I'm just going to talk about hip hop right now. You can almost um, trace the decline of some of this hip hop music to the MySpace time. And that was because people just literally gave up on their music and started programming a damn MySpace page. And then, you know, Facebook comes along and then Twitter comes along and Instagram comes along. And I don't know how much we're losing. I say it to them all the time. I don't know how much great art we're losing from y'all because y'all sitting there trying to manage your own social media. It's the dumbest thing you could ever do. You should be in the, in the basement somewhere writing songs. I mean, how are we going to get all this great material if you're sitting there trying to figure out what your Instagram post looks like and you're resizing something? Right. How do we get that? You know what I'm saying? I, I, I understand you at dinner or you somewhere else and you want to just take a little picture or whatever. But even with that, somebody else taking a picture is always better for you. You can self-feed it if you want, but somebody else taking a picture, always better for you. Somebody else documenting it with a little bit of film, always better for you. Because then you can concentrate on being you. You know, we got to get back to the music and sometimes some of these other things have just totally distracted us. So, I mean, again... Long answer to one question, but I definitely tell, tell them about things that just, I think it's a little, a little more harsh than just teaching them. I'm screaming. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.